Strokeside Designs is a New York-based fine jewelry company focused on water sports. This is the best jewelry I have found through many years of searching. I love my Dragon Boat Paddle Heart earrings and my pendant. The jewelers at Strokeside Designs have worked for famous jewelry houses such as Tiffany & Company and Cartier. All of the pieces are hand-finished from fine materials. Express your passion for kayaking, canoeing, and dragon boating. Visit PaddleJewelry.com and get free shipping with the code PINK. That is PaddleJewelry.com and enter the code PINK. Are you a dragon boat athlete? Have you ever thought about joining a team? Hornet Water Sports makes high-performance, lightweight, carbon fiber dragon boat paddles. You can choose from one of their many graphic designs. Don't settle for just a boring black paddle. I love their design so much that I have four different paddles. They also have all of the dragon boat accessories that you need, paddle bags, tip covers, tape, and more. Visit their website at hornetwatersports.com and enter the code PINK at checkout to receive 10% off of your order. That's hornetwatersports.com and enter the code PINK. My guest on today's episode is Jen Rosenbaum, a boudoir photographer, the podcast host of Shamelessly Feminine, and a breast cancer survivor. Jen shares her journey through breast cancer, and she talks about the challenges associated with reconstruction, not only of the physical self, but also emotionally and spiritually. Take a listen in as Jen shares her story. Welcome to Behind the Pink Ribbon, where we share stories, information, and other content related to breast cancer. My name is Melissa Adams. I am a 12-year genetic breast cancer survivor. I've learned so much through my own journey with breast cancer. I have met some amazing people along the way, many that have become lifelong friends. I have experienced the emotional roller coaster of a breast cancer diagnosis, heartache, anger, frustration, loneliness, and even gratitude. Through this podcast, we will speak to breast cancer survivors, supporters, and healthcare professionals to gain insight and understanding behind the pink ribbon. I'm here today with Jennifer Rosenbaum. She is from New York. She was diagnosed in July of 2017 at the age of 41 with invasive lobular cancer. She is also the podcast host of Shamelessly Feminine. So Jennifer, thanks so much for being on the show. I'm excited to have you with us. I'm excited to be here and you can totally call me Jen. That's okay. mostly what people call me. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. So let's talk a little bit about your story. I mean, you're really, you're really only about two and a half years into this. So you're, you're a pretty young, um, survivor in terms yeah. of, you know, diagnosis. So, um, you know, I know you were 41. Were you doing a mammogram, a self exam, you know, how did, how did everything kind of start for you? Yeah, when I was 40, um, I had my first mammogram and they happened to notice um, some calcifications on my left breast. So they asked me to come back in six months and they said, if there's no change, we'll have you come back in another six months. And then if there's no change, we'll have you come back in a year. So I went back in six months. There was no change. They said, great, no problem. Come back in a year. I went back in a year. That was uh, January of 2017, and the calcifications looked fine, but they happened to have noticed some cysts on my right breast. So they said, you know what? Just come back in six months. Now, I live on Long Island. Long Island has a very high cancer rate, higher than the national average, so they're very, very cautious here. And they said, uh, you know, come back in six months. So some point between uh January 2017 and July 2017, I noticed in a selfie that I took actually, like a weird shadow on my breast. And I started feeling around and I felt something that felt almost like a swollen muscle. And it wasn't the typical 
like pea-sized, uh, you know, thing that you feel or a bump that you feel that they teach you about. Right. It, it felt like a, it felt like a muscle. And I, and I remember saying to my husband, can you feel this? This feels like a swollen muscle in here. And he was like, yeah, that's weird. It just feels like a muscle. And he was like, why don't you call the doctor? And I was like, nah, I have an appointment, you know, in July. I mean, I go every six months. I'm sure it's nothing. I mean, I have no family history. I have no genetics. I, ha- you know, right. there's no reason for me to think that it would even be an issue. So I waited. Um, and was it painful? No, like it, it wasn't, wasn't painful. Okay. It almost, it almost felt like it was, it would come and go. But what I learned after was really that my breasts were very cystic. And so they would swell and, when my breasts were more swollen, I wouldn't feel it as much, but it was still there. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. Cause I think um, the other thing, you know, it, so there was, um, two things actually. So the first thing you mentioned is, you know, we're kind of taught like, Oh, you know, if you find something that feels like a pea or a marble or something, you know, that's concerning. Um, but here you didn't find something that felt like that. It felt more like a muscle. And we're also taught that, um, you know, if it hurts, then, you know, that's, that's kind of the better part of it. Um, if it doesn't hurt, you know, that's when you should really kind of be worried. So I was kind of yeah. wondering, you know, in just in terms of the description of it feeling like a muscle, if it felt sore or if it just was kind of there. Um, yeah, you know, it's, I work out a lot and I, at the time I was like, I lost some weight. So I just kind of figured, all right, whatever, you know, it's, it's I'm working, I'm working out. It's all good. Yeah. You know, who, who knew? Um, and I laugh just cause I have to laugh at myself. I mean, it's oh, like, absolutely. what else can you do? I know. Um, I know. Sometimes I feel like I laugh inappropriately and I'm like, it's really not because I'm being a jerk. It's just because it's how I deal. Right. It's just so <laughs> sometimes when I tell this story, it's still so unbelievable. It's, it's crazy. So, right. uh, I went, I went back in July for, it was July 10th, uh, 2017. And I went back for just a routine sonogram. They were just going to do a sonogram. And I was almost ready to leave. And before I left, I mean, this is how little I thought of it. I said to them, oh, shoot, wait, before I go, can you just check this thing for me? And, you know, she's looking at it with the sonogram, looking at it. There's nothing coming up on the screen. And then she presses really hard. And all of a sudden, this giant black hole showed up on the screen. Oh, wow. And I could just see her whole face change. And my doctor came in. I was very lucky to go to a place that has doctors there that immediately will be like, we're going to, we're going to biopsy this right now. Like he was like, I'm not letting you leave here without a biopsy. Wow. Yeah. That's very uh, rare. (laughs) Yeah. So he biopsied it right then and there and, um, basically sat me down and said, listen, Jen, I've seen a lot of things. This is cancer. I know it is. I can tell just by looking at it. Wow. And I was like, he said, it's, he said, it's 90, I'm 99% sure. Oh and wait, you were there by yourself. So I texted my husband because okay. I usually, I just went by myself. Cause again, there was yeah. no reason for me to worry. Right. I texted him. I said, something weird is going on. I'm, I'm in the middle of a biopsy right now. And he was like, what? <laughs> I was like, yeah, you know, it just seems so surreal. And I was like, I don't know if you want to meet me here. Like if you have quite, I don't know really what's going on. So he walked in as I was sitting with the doctor and I remember the doctor saying, I'm 99% sure this is cancer. And my husband saying, well, if it's not cancer, what could it be? And he looked at my husband and he shook his head and he said nothing. And, you know, he just was like, it's, it's cancer. I'm preparing you. And he, luckily for me, he was going on vacation in a few days. So he was like, I'm going to get you these results within 24 to 48 hours. And sure enough, so that was Monday afternoon. Sure enough, Wednesday, exactly at noon, he called and told me that I had invasive lobular carcinoma. Wow. I mean, yeah. you know, for many of us, the the time in between, you know, the waiting is one of the hardest parts of it. 
And many of us have to go first to, you know, I started with my gynecologist and then I had to be referred out for, you know, an ultrasound, well, a mammogram first, and then had to wait to go for an ultrasound and then had to wait to go for a biopsy. So it was Mm -hmm. all of these things. So it was, you know, I found my lump um, in February and then I found out that I had cancer in March. So it was over a month. Um, you know, that all of this had taken place. And I feel like it probably would have been longer had I not accidentally shown up for an appointment a week early. Um, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. It's, it's yeah, crazy. It's, you really... I hear, I, I hear stories all the time. Women are like, oh, I'm having a biopsy a month from now. I'm like, what? No, yeah. not okay. <laughs> no. You put your foot down about that, please. Absolutely, <laughs> you know? absolutely. Especially for young women, you know, because it tends to grow so much faster. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like, I feel like, it's almost as though cancer is in there. And then once it's caught, they're like, ha ha ha, you know, right. we're going to, we're going to go now. Um, I don't, I like, it's just so weird to me. Um, right. so and here's the crazy thing. So they, they did, when they did the biopsy, they put a titanium marker in and they did a mammogram and it didn't show up on the mammogram at all. The titanium marker did, but the cancer didn't. Right. So what, and so it turned out I had a seven, um, a seven centimeter mass wow. and I had another three centimeter mass underneath it. And none of that showed up on, on any of the mammograms I had done. Wow. And yeah. And, and none of the sonograms until I brought it to their attention. So, you know, I hate to make people crazy paranoid because they hear that and they're like, Oh my gosh, well, wait a minute, I'm getting all my tests and I still don't know if I'm getting the right answer. And that's why I say you have to feel the boobs every absolutely. single month. Yes, absolutely. Um, I am because so many, so many women that I know, have found theirs, you know, through a self-exam or, you know, a selfie or, you know, Mm -hmm. something, something was off. I mean, you were having mammograms and there was something that was there, but they certainly didn't catch what was truly there. I mean, to, to go from, you know, six months to a year to having a seven centimeter mass of cancer. Right. I mean, that's, that's a big they obviously miss. missed it. Yeah. yeah that's a big miss. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, I always talk to women, you know, I think the, I think the mammograms are great. You know, they serve a purpose. However, they don't catch everything, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I hear things. Um, in fact, I heard it on the news not that long ago that mammograms are the best tool to use for diagnosing cancer. And I'm like yelling at the TV. I'm like, no, it's not. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but it's not. So yeah. Anyways, I could definitely go down a rabbit hole on that one, um, but I'll kind of bring it back a little bit. <laughs> so, um, so at a stage at a um, seven centimeter, and then the other three centimeter, what staging mm-hmm. did that put you at? Two uh, B. I was lucky enough, crazily enough, it did not go into my lymph nodes. Yeah, that is crazy. Um, yeah, invasive lobular can be a very slow growing cancer. Um, so as aggressive as it was and big as it was, yeah. for, you know, fortunately for me, it, it just didn't get to that point. And that's another thing that, you know, I like to tell people when they say that they're scared to get a mammogram or it's been a long time. And I say, you know, finding cancer isn't scary. Not finding cancer is scary. Yes. So, you know, uh, yeah, it must've been there for a while. I mean, they, they, claim that they went back and they looked at my records and they didn't find anything. But I'll tell you, she had to push so hard on that sonogram. I don't know what you call it, the thing on the sonogram to even find 
what was there when I knew it was there. So I can't imagine she would have ever found it if I didn't bring it to her attention. Right. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad that, you know, it wasn't kind of brushed off, right. That it was, yeah. you know, just because that that's, those are the tools that they have. Those are the things that mm-hmm. they're going to use. And, you know, unless she had applied that additional pressure, you know, who, you know, what that outcome could have been, um, right. you know, don't necessarily want to think about, but so, did you, did they, was the cancer, um, estrogen progesterone positive? Was it HER2 positive? Yeah, I was estrogen positive, HER2 negative. Okay. Um, so yeah, so I, I had, um, a mastectomy, a bilateral mastectomy two weeks after I was diagnosed and, um, I had eight rounds of CMF chemotherapy. Okay. And that chemotherapy came after the mastectomy, I'm assuming. Yes. So I did the mastectomy and then they sent out the tissue for, um, the oncotype score. Okay. And, um, at the time, cause I know it keeps changing, but at the time the score was, if you had under, if you had 18 or under, you didn't need chemo and I scored a 19. So oh, wow. yeah. So they did a lighter form of chemo for me. Okay. Yeah. And that's interesting too, because, um, yeah, I, I feel like things do keep changing and, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I'm like, well, wait a minute, I was in this range and now I'm in this range and, you know, everything yeah. just kind of shifts over and, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, the um, Oncotype, I'm glad to hear that they're still using it because I know that it was definitely informative. Um, mm-hmm. So eight rounds. And then did you do the eight rounds every um, other week? Is yes. that kind of the spacing? Okay. And yes. Then- so that took me from, I started chemo September 18th and I finished December 27th. So I was like determined to finish in the year 2017. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, we're going to be done in this year and we're going to start the new year fresh, which, uh, is another interesting topic. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we yeah. all have those, um, we always have those stories that we, we tell ourselves um, that, mm-hmm. you know, this is going to be over in a year or we have people right. in our lives who are like, oh, yeah, this, you know, give it a year. It'll be fine. You'll be back to your normal life. And then you're like, well, you know, it's been a year and yeah. nothing's normal again. <laughs> and I'm yeah. not through it. So um, so in terms of reconstruction, um, so yes. first of all, you did not have to do radiation. Is that- I did not. Okay. I was very lucky that I did not have to do radiation. Okay. Yeah. Cause I know, you know, sometimes it's not always commonplace when there's a mastectomy scheduled that radiation would happen. However, mm-hmm. sometimes when they go in and they can't get clean margins, which was my case, then they do have to go back and, and do the radiation. So, mm-hmm. um, so in terms of, did you do reconstruction? Did you stay flat? Like what was your procedure after the mastectomy? Yeah, when I had my mastectomy, I had expanders um, put in under my muscle. And so I went through that whole process. And then in March 2018, I exchanged to implants. And then um, in November, November 7th of 2019, so just this past November, I had my reconstruction done over again because I was not happy with my reconstruction. I didn't think that it looked good. It didn't feel good. (laughs) Nothing about it was really so great. Uh, and my plastic surgeon was kind of a jerk about it. And so I ended up leaving him and going to a different plastic surgeon and the plastic surgeon, you know, it's, it's funny. Cause like the family, my family, my husband, my mother, everybody would always look at me and say, it's be- you're beautiful. Don't worry. Don't worry. And I'd be like, no guys, it doesn't look right. I don't feel good about it. It's, I don't, I think it can be better than this. 
And they would always say, no, you're beautiful. You're beautiful. So I, I went to another plastic surgeon. I opened my robe. He took one look at me and he was like, no, this is awful. It's all oh wrong. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, you don't have the right implants in. They're not in the right place. They're not in the right profile. They're one is lower than the other. We need to move them above the muscle. It was like, everything was like, no, we need to redo this. Wow. So I had it, I had it redone this past November and I am scheduled for one more fat grafting at the moment and they want to raise one of my implants keeps falling. We don't know why. So it's a little bit lower than the other one. So they want to raise it up. Um, and actually he wants to replace this one implant. He, he thinks it appears bigger than the other one, but I'm done with that. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, we're done with that. We're, I don't want to see another drain as long as I live. So <laughs> I uh, hear you, you know, so no, if I can avoid it, I will avoid it. And, um, so I will, I'm scheduled right now for September, um, to have another fat grafting and to raise my implants a bit. Okay. And where are they going to take that fat from? Like, do they use like the inner thigh, the buttocks? So last time they did it, uh, for my outer thigh, Okay. And so I happen to have, I, I always joke about this, that I have really big thighs and it turns out they're more muscular than we thought that they were. So he was <laughs> like, we didn't have enough fat to, to use. So I asked him last time, like, well, where are you going to get the fat this time? And he was like, basically wherever we can find it. I'm not a huge girl, so yeah. I don't have a, that much to offer. Although I disagree with the doctor when he says that I'm like, no, look, I have plenty. <laughs> um, so we'll see. I, I'm like, listen, you could take as much as, of it as you want. So yeah, <laughs> if you but, find but the, it, it's yours. Right. Go right. Ahead but the truth it. is my, my, I had a very drastic mastectomy. I had, uh, my cancer was very high in my breast, which is really one of the only reasons I found it. It was really, um, like if you can imagine where you feel your heart on your left side, that's where it was on my right side, like really high up. Okay. Um, yeah. so I had a very dramatic mastectomy. They took all the breast tissue out, like all the way up to my collarbone. Yeah. So to fill that is very difficult and they keep, you know, they did a fat grafting and it didn't really stick and they're going to have to try again, but it just, I may have to accept it might not work. Yeah. And, and I, um, I mean, so many, so many parts about this. Um, number one, I'm, I'm glad that you found a plastic surgeon that you were comfortable with, um, you know, because I hear, I hear more than I'd like to in terms of well, my plastic surgeon was a jerk about this or, you know, mm -hmm. this or that or whatever. I was lucky. I, you know, I had a really fantastic plastic surgeon, um, you know, but not everybody has that experience. And so yeah. I'm glad that you at least advocated for yourself to say, you know, this isn't okay. Like I, I need to have somebody that will listen and hear me out. And, you know, it's very easy for family members and, you know, loved ones to really say, oh, but you're beautiful and, you know, it, it looks great and, you know, whatever, but they're not the ones that, you know, are necessarily looking at you naked. I mean, maybe your right. husband, right? I mean, right. you know, I don't know, maybe you live in a nudist colony, but um, <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't, but you know, it, for the most part, it's, it's not very many people looking at you naked. And I feel like we have to be comfortable in our own skin, you know, whether that includes implants or not. Yeah. And you know, for me, it wasn't even about, you know, being naked because my husband accepts me no matter what I look like. And he's been very um, kind through the whole process as far as reassuring me that I look beautiful to him and he doesn't care. But it was for me more about like, I looked ridiculous in a bathing suit. I looked ridiculous in a tank top. Yeah. I 
you know, I couldn't wear a bra. It was too painful for me to wear a bra. So you could sometimes see my scars through certain shirts that now I couldn't wear. It was difficult to buy clothing. I had very, very bad animation. So like when I tensed my pec muscles, my breasts look crazy. And, you know, it's not that I walk around like that, but I go to the gym very often, or I would even like pick up one of my kids and my boobs would look so weird. And it's like, there's a, there's a certain, um, you know, I, I love my scars. I don't care if my scars are showing or whatnot, but there's a certain, um, feeling you get, like if you're on the beach, for example, and you're wearing a bathing suit and you know, it looks ridiculous and people are looking, yes. or even if they're not looking, you know, it's like, cause nobody really cares about Jen Rosenbaum. Right. But, but you know, even if they're not looking, there's a moment where you're like, this is ruining my good time because I'm paranoid about showing this, or I'm nervous about what people are going to think. Or, um, you know, I had to buy a dress for my daughter. My daughter had a very big party for her 13th birthday for her bat mitzvah. And I had to find a dress that fit me and it was impossible. Yeah. You know, it was, and I still, I bought something beautiful and I still look at it and go, Oh, I just look terrible in that dress. It's just, you know, they, it's, it's very difficult for me. And so I would like to tell you that all the time I feel positive and I beat cancer and I'm like, whatever, who cares what I look like? But that's just not the way the world works. You know, uh, there's plenty of times I do feel that way. And then there are times where I have serious boob envy where I'm like, I just really wish I had breasts that look more normal than this. Yes. Oh my gosh. I will. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because I feel like that's one of those things that I never really tell people. Um, Mm -hmm. But at the very beginning of all of this, like I was just, I was obsessed with boobs Mm -hmm. because I was losing mine and then I had lost mine and, Mm -hmm. you know, mine didn't, you know, I had some complications with my reconstruction as well. And, you know, I, I have a hollowed out spot too, where they had to go in and take more tissue kind of up towards my collarbone, not to the collarbone, but, you know, Mm -hmm. so I have a kind of a hollowing on the one side and the other side didn't match. And then there was a, the sizing on the paper for the implants for the doctor to order was incorrect. So I ended Mm. up with this huge implant on one side and what I would say was a normal one on the other side, not anything to do with my plastic surgeon. You know, he didn't make the typo. Um, But I was like, dude, like I'm like, I'm lopsided. Like my shirts would Mm -hmm. shift on me. Um, So it just, it looked terrible. So I can totally, you know, appreciate exactly what you're saying. But uh, yeah, yeah, I had. And, he, and here's the rub, me. by the way, I'm a boudoir photographer for a living. So I photograph half naked women as my job. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like now I'm also faced with, you know, women that are complete, are whole. And I'm trying to deal with that and deal with my own body. And you know what? It's, it's, I try to explain to my husband that sometimes even just waking up in the morning and walking into your closet and, you know, trying to pick out something to wear is exhausting and a reminder of cancer and a remind, you know, it's like, cause he'll say to me sometimes like, do you think you think about cancer every day? I'm like, yeah, of course I think about it every day. It affects everything I do. Are you Absolutely. kidding? You know, like I can't wear button down shirts to work anymore because what happens if it pops open? I won't know. Cause I can't feel anything right. or, you know, there's, there's so many things, you know, and, and I put off buying new clothes for a long time cause I knew I was going to redo my reconstruction and he was going to go a little bigger. And what if things didn't fit me? And, No, it's just crazy. Really. It's like, there's so many little parts of your life that it affects that, that nobody really talks about. Right. Yeah. And people don't know, right? Like it's, it's not obvious, you know, on the outside, you know, and I, I feel like, you know, sometimes we really do a great job of 
hiding things and masking mm-hmm. things so that, you know, other people aren't suffering through it as well. Um, mm. You know, but sometimes, you know, yeah, it's, it's hard when you go in and I mean, even 13 years out, there are still things that I struggle with, you know, mm-hmm. buying the right clothes um, happens to be one of them. I don't go right. shopping because it's so frustrating to me. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not enjoyable anymore. And shopping was one of the things I actually used to really enjoy. Yeah. Uh, and it annoys me. It annoys me that it took that fun out of it for me or that I'll see something online and I'll be like, oh, but I can't, I can't buy something without trying it on first. That's just crazy. Right. <laughs> you know, like that. Yeah. Exactly. That, so that's not going to happen. Yeah. yeah. So, so that all kind of led you to, um, you know, so I, I mentioned at the beginning that you are the host of, um, you know, Shamelessly Feminine podcast, but your cancer journey really kind of led you to something else. Outside yes. of that. So let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So what I found was in my own journey that, um, so first of all, I became very public with my journey. Um, I, I do have a little bit of a, um, I don't know how to put this, like a little bit of like a cult following in my photography industry. Um, so I had a, a pretty large female following, um, not pretty large. I don't want to make myself sound like I'm like some famous person or something, but in the industry of photography, I'm, yeah. I'm very well known for boot, for the boudoir work that I do. So I have, I have a following in that, in that industry and a lot of them are women. And so I knew that when I was diagnosed with cancer, that first of all, I was going to have to go public because I don't know how I'm going to hide this and still be out there. Um, but number two, I had so many women followers and I decided that, okay, you know what, this is, um, this was a, I had to look at it this way. This was a gift given to me by the universe so that I could go out and I could be public and I can help people and I can, um, you know, make people feel feminine and beautiful and wonderful and know what it's really like. And I'm going to be honest about my journey. And so I went to Facebook first and, uh, I announced my, um, my breast cancer and that went semi-viral for me, you know, in my world, it went semi-viral and, uh, I had a lot of support and a lot of love and I made videos like every week. So I had my mastectomy, you know, at first I did like videos up to the mastectomy and then I did a video like every few days after the mastectomy and I'm continuing to make videos. I have a YouTube channel where I talk about all of this, um, very openly and very candidly. And, one of the reasons that I did that was I found that anywhere that I turned to for support, like a Facebook group or anything like that was very actually damaging. It made me very scared. Uh, I would see pictures of mutilated breasts everywhere and, um, I just, I just couldn't handle it. It was like every, every post was like this, I have an infection and I have a problem and I'm, you know, and listen, this stuff Right. And this stuff exists. I don't want to take away from that because we all go through moments of this horrid time where we're suffering from chemotherapy side effects or surgery side effects or whatnot. I don't want to take away from that. And I do really want to acknowledge that I'm very grateful that this cancer, uh, you know, was not a threat to my life at this, at that point. Right. So, but filtering um, it out is okay. Right. Right. So I really had to like sort of protect myself. And yet I wanted to create something honest where people could hear the honest truth about, you know, like I made videos, for example, like what not to to tell a cancer patient, right? Like stop telling me to suck on lemons because they're more, (laughs) more, uh, you know, strong than chemotherapy. Like stop saying that to me, you know, or this, 
Right. So I made all of these videos and they started to kind of gain momentum. And what I realized was that, um, remember I said to you that I really wanted to finish my treatment in 2017 so I could move on in 2018. And what I realized was 2018 came and it was probably the worst year of my life. (laughs) It was worse than having cancer. It was, um, it was horrible. I just, I felt like I was in shambles. I didn't know. And the problem is everybody would say, you're good now, right? And you, as the patient go, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. (laughs) Sure. Because you, because there's this, there's this feeling of like, if you say you're not good, people don't understand you because you should just be grateful that you're alive. Right. And you know, my whole point is that there's a huge difference between being alive and feeling alive. Absolutely. And I did not feel alive in 2018 or 2019 so much for that matter. I had a lot of shifts in 2019, but, um, I, I just didn't feel well. I didn't feel well physically. I didn't feel well emotionally. I didn't feel well spiritually. And then, um, towards the end of 2018, I was like, okay, 2019, I'm going to get my life together. It's been a full year, you know, it's time. And on January 4th, um, a very close family member of mine was diagnosed with cancer. And it just swept me off my feet. I mean, my cancer rocked my world. This cancer just threw me over the edge. I mean, I lost it. (laughs) I was just like, I am not good. And I really helped. I'm I'm being anonymous for a reason. This family member asked me not to divulge who it is, but I, it's a very close family member and I was there for every single step of the way and they were very sick and we spent a lot of time in the hospital and it would be like, I would say, okay, you know, I'm, I'll be back in 10 minutes. I'm going to go down the hall and see my doctor. You know, like that, we were overlapping really so much in, in our treatments and our um, appointments. And it was just like, how much can you deal with, you know? Um, but I, I spent the second half of the year really working on putting my life back together. And, and the point of my long-winded answer is that what I found was there really is no positive um, place for women to go that are looking to put their life back together after cancer. This is there, there's a confusion. It's like you're finished and then they kick you out. Yes. Right. And you're like, I don't know where I belong. I don't, I'm trying to get back into my life, but it doesn't look the same as it looked before. And listen, you can have the most supportive family, the most supportive husband or partner, or the most supportive parents and children and community. It doesn't matter. You it's like, I, I can, I compare it to a tornado, right? The tornado hits and you go back to your house and it's leveled and you recognize your house. You're like, Oh, there's my ceiling tiles and there, you know, or my roof shingles and there's my bathtub and there's my oven, but they're not in, in the same way that they were when you left your house. And that's what coming home basically after cancer feels like. You're like, I recognize this life, but it's not mine it's anymore. Not mine. Yeah. And I, I love and that I you make mention of that because I, I talk a lot to people about the aftercare, that the aftercare for cancer survivors just is not there. You know, no. there are supports and there are organizations that are trying to do better, but you know, it's, it's not anywhere where it needs to be at this point. Yes. And so many of us are, you know, kind of left trying to pick up the pieces of our house that have been torn down by that tornado. And people around us really don't understand, like, you know, exactly like you said, well, you're good. You know, you should be grateful to be alive. Yes, I am. But everything that I knew about my life is not the same. Right. And not only do they, do they not understand, they have their own journey that we don't necessarily understand. Oh, absolutely. 
Right. So it also can cause this loneliness and this separation and the, you know, it's, it's really tough. So anyway, I'm writing a book right now about it. And, um, with that book, I'm planning on working up a program that is based off of a lot of the work that I've done that really helps you reconstruct your life, as I like to call it. Like the reconstruction is not just about the breast. It's also about the life. So I think the book is going to be titled reconstruction. We'll see what happens when, uh, you know, the editor gets a hold of it. But, um, the point is that we need help reconstructing our lives after. And sometimes it's even just a matter of permission to say to somebody, it's okay to want your life to be different. Um, you know, the same, but different, if that makes sense. Cause I feel like I'm the same, but different. I mean, I, I look at pictures of myself even sometimes before my cancer and I don't recognize that woman at all. Like, oh my gosh. like who, who oh my is gosh. that? You are speaking my language in so many different ways. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've said that too, where, you know, I've, I did a lot of writing through my journey and one of the pieces that I had written about was, you know, I sat down in front of a mirror one day and I looked into the mirror and I didn't recognize the person that was looking back, mm-hmm. you know, like I had just gotten so lost in mm-hmm. who that person was. Um, and, you know, I, I, I just didn't, I didn't recognize who that person was looking back at me Yeah, because it wasn't the yeah. same. So I've had that experience as well. And, you know, to everybody else, you look exactly the same. You're the same person and they expect you to act the same way, think the same way, do the same things. And that that's part of it. And I think especially for like women in my age range, right? Like let's say 30 to 50 that have children that, you know, are still trying to carry on with their jobs and their lives and their mommy duties. Everybody expects them to just go back to that. And it's just like, what, what, ha- yeah. what happened? I, I can't, I'm sorry. I'm a different person now. I can't, I can't just fit into that hole anymore. Right. Yeah. And I, I love that you um, are writing a book about that because I don't, I don't know that there's anything that's out there. At least I haven't seen anything. So I will yeah, be, I don't think so. Yeah. I will be excited to um, hear more about it and stay up to date on you know, when it's done and when it will be ready. And, you know, we'll definitely support you in getting the word out on that. Thank Um, you. Yeah, for sure. So where can people find you in terms of the YouTube channel? So say somebody wants to kind of take a look at the videos, where do they go? Yeah, it's youtube.com forward slash Jen Rosenbaum. And my last name is spelled with a Z. So it's R-O-Z-E-N-B-A-U-M. And Jen is just with one N. So it's Jen Rosenbaum. And that's also where they can find me on Instagram. I do a lot of talk about breast cancer there as well. Perfect. Perfect. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on to the podcast, for sharing your time with us today, um, sharing all of the great information, your story, and, you know, kudos to you for doing the work that you're doing in so many different ways (laughs) Um, thank you so thank you so much thank you I appreciate you having me thank you for listening to this episode of behind the pink ribbon don't forget to rate review and subscribe if you or anyone you know would be interested in sharing your story please send an email to podcast at behind the pink ribbon.com Thinking about advertising on this podcast? Our ads not only create awareness for your brand, but also contribute to the continued growth and support of this show. Email us today and be on our next episode. Email podcast at BehindThePinkRibbon.com for more information. You've been listening to Behind the Pink Ribbon, produced by American Creative Consulting, mixed and mastered at Riverview Podcasting Studios. For more information, please visit designbyacc.com.